reading this evening is taken from Psalm 69, the whole psalm. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me, for I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me, from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me, or the depths swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Deliver me because of my foes. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. But as for me, afflicted and in pain, 
May your salvation, God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them, for God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Dawn. Good evening, everyone. My name's Andy. I'm the curate here at St. Paul's, and you're very welcome tonight, especially if you are visiting or if you're new or fairly new. Uh, it's so good to have you with us. Thank you, Dawn, for reading the whole of that psalm. It's a long psalm, isn't it? If, um, if you've got a Bible in front of you, keep that open at Psalm 69. If you don't, can I encourage you to go and grab one? We've got Bibles at the edges of the uh, rows on the pillars. Uh, it's a long psalm, so this will repay having it open in front of us as we have a look at it this evening. Now, we're in the middle of a preaching series this month in the Psalms, and tonight we're revisiting Jesus in the Psalms. Two Sundays ago, uh, I was preaching, and we did Jesus in the Psalm. We looked at Psalm 110, and there we saw Jesus uh, as the pre-existent Son in His glory, the King, the Priest. And tonight we come to see Jesus in the Psalms again, this time as the righteous sufferer uh, the, in his humility and his weakness. So let's pray as we come to God's Word tonight. Uh, Lord, as you say in another psalm, your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light on our path. And how we pray that you would show us Jesus tonight uh, from the pages of the scriptures, from this psalm. And Lord, would we meet you in a fresh way? Come by your Spirit and speak to us and change us tonight. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've been looking at the psalms this month. If you're just kind of joining us, uh, the Psalms are this wonderful collection of 150 uh, songs and poems, prayers that we find uh, in the Bible, right in the middle of the Bible in the Old Testament. These have been used by God's people for thousands of years. Uh, and we're looking in particular tonight at how we see Jesus in the Psalms. I mean, you might think, well, that's a bit funny because Jesus was born thousands of years after these were written, so how could they be about him? Um, but, of course, we believe that the Holy Spirit was, God was inspiring uh, the Scriptures, and so actually the whole thing is about His Son, is about Jesus. And we're just going to kind of tease open where we see Jesus in this particular psalm uh, tonight. 
Here's a quote from one of my favorite Christian thinkers, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, on the Psalms. It's up on the screen there. He writes this, the more deeply we grow into the Psalms and the more often we pray them as our own, the more simple and rich our prayer will become. The more deeply we grow into the Psalms, the more often we pray them as our own, the more simple and rich will our prayer become. And that's kind of what we're about this month as we dig into the Psalms, this amazing resource for our own prayer lives. Can I encourage you, um, start the day with a Psalm. You might want to use the Bible in the Year app that has a Psalm each day, or you can work your way through the Psalms. But these wonderful uh, songs encapsulate every emotion from highest joy to deepest pain um, and suffering, which we're looking at particularly tonight. So, Psalm 69, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. It's clear the person praying this is in serious trouble. Um, something really urgent is coming up. It's, it's life or death. It's described like drowning. And when we're at the end of our ability to cope or to escape uh, and we just need help. And this is a psalm of lament. And did you know that a third of the psalms, uh, give or take a few, are laments, calling out to God in distress, in suffering? Uh, Jonathan was preaching on psalms of lament. It wasn't at the evening service, it was at the morning service the other Sunday. I think it was last Sunday. Um, so do go and check that out uh, on our YouTube or on our website. Um, to kind of dig more into that. Um, but tonight, what I want to offer us is a framework for praying the Psalms, for finding Jesus in the Psalms. And there are three kind of lenses um, which we can look at the Psalms to find Jesus. And we're going to use that on this Psalm tonight. Um, the first is to look through the eyes of what I'm going to call the original psalmist, the person who wrote this uh, to begin with, in this case, King David uh, is the one who wrote this psalm, who prayed this psalm. And psalms are written by all sorts of people. David wrote lots of them, including this one. He was a king, king of the Hebrew people uh, in Israel and uh, the ancient uh, Middle East. And uh, he reigned about a thousand years before Jesus was born. Um, and the word psalmist, a bit of a funny word, isn't it? It literally is one who psalms, so one who prays or writes uh, in the psalms. So David is our original psalmist. Then we're going to look at the true psalmist, and this is Jesus. He's the one who fulfills the psalms. He's the one who ultimately prays and can say the psalms. Sometimes there's occasions where the psalm says things that we can't really say, can we? But Jesus can. And uh, the great Baptist preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, he said that Jesus' footprints are all through the Psalms, and the Holy Spirit highlights them for us. So we've got the original psalmist, true psalmist, and then thirdly, today's psalmist, that's you and me, as we're reading the Psalms, as we're engaging, as we're praying them. Um, and Jesus is the center point 
He's the one where everything comes into focus. Um, what we'll see is that whereas David's concerns, um, he's particularly concerned with himself as the king and his role and, and the nation of Israel and God's people, but Jesus kind of takes that and magnifies it uh, from this worldly kingdom to God's kingdom that all of us are welcome into. So let's dive in. Let's look first through the eyes of David, the original psalmist. Uh, now, David, as I say, he's particularly, you can see it as we read through, he's particularly concerned with God's people. He's, been, he's king of this, uh, this nation in the Middle East. Um, in that time in history, nations were constantly under threat of being invaded by their neighbors, wars, all sorts of things, um, pestilence, all these kinds of things, and uprisings. And so he's particularly concerned about this. And God is, you know, he believes that God has given the, his people this place with which to live. So let's look at this psalm. First, it's clear that David experienced his fair share of suffering. And so he suffered and he's expressing this to God now. And, you know, his life was under threat many times. Uh, you can read more about it in the books of Samuel and Kings. But David in his early life well, um, was hunted by Saul, who was the, who was the first king um, in Israel, but was rejected by God and clung on to power and saw David as his rival. And later on in David's life, uh, he was betrayed by his own son, and he was sent out into exile. And so you can kind of see where he's coming out where he writes in verse 4, saying, I've got, my, my enemies are innumerable more than the hairs of my head, can't count them, there's so many of them. David experienced suffering. And kind of more than that, there's a representative side of his suffering. So as the king, he represents his people. In a sense, like what happens to him happens to his people as well. You know, if, if he is successful, his people are successful. If he's honored, his people are honored. If he's shamed, his people are shamed. And if he suffers, then his people suffer as well. That's what we read in, from verse 5. It says, You, God, know my folly. My guilt isn't hidden from you. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. The sense that kind of when a when a national leader messes up, it affects their people, doesn't it? And I mean, just have to look last week in politics. We're not going to get into that, but you can kind of get that sense, can't you? That it affects each one of us uh, and our outlook and um, affects us materially, uh, economically. Uh, leaders affect us culturally, and there's some real stream of populism in Western politics over the last few years, and that affects us. It, it affects our identity, the way we look at things, the way we, you know, it's kind of one of these self-perpetuating cycles, isn't it, in our culture. And also, I want to suggest leaders affect the, their people spiritually as well. There's a sense that priorities at the top kind of become our priorities as well. And for David, he's, you know, he's saying, look, I'm acknowledging I'm not perfect. Uh, you know, he had his own sin. He had his own failings. Um, high profile one was his 
adultery with Bathsheba and arranging for her husband to be murdered. Uh, and that was something which he, which is a massive deal for David and, and caused great consequence for him. Um, and David is bringing this before God. He's saying, you know, I'm sinful and that affects my people, Lord. So he's expressed his anguish and his fear and he turns to prayer. Uh, there's also a sense, you know, he's saying that his suffering is unjust, isn't it? He's, he's suffering because he's of his faith in God and uh, those priorities. And now he turns to prayer. And what does he pray? Well, slightly uncomfortably for us, he prays curses on his enemies, doesn't he? I don't know, how, how did you feel when you heard that part of the reading? A little bit surprising, isn't it? What do we make of this? Um, so verses, verse 23, he's praying, may their eyes be darkened so they can't see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. And skipping forward a bit, charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May, the, may they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. Very strong language that David is using here. And there is a sense that, I mean, it's complex, but there is, there's a part of it, isn't there, that, that cries out for, for justice when we see great injustice. And some of that is being expressed here. Uh, but of course, also, we need to remember that for David, kind of God's promises were kind of primarily for this national kingdom that he was head of, um, this worldly kingdom. And so, He's calling out, look, these enemies who threaten uh, God's people, you know, may they have lots of horrible things happen to them. Let's just park there, that there, just for now. We're going to circle back around to it when we come to Jesus. Um, but let's just acknowledge that there. And David finishes the psalm, uh, kind of finishes with hope, doesn't it, in salvation. Um, he looks ahead and he praises God that everything is going to be well in the end. And he prays in verse 34, let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. You know, earlier David was talking about kind of feeling like he was drowning in the sea, but he finishes by declaring his confidence that God will save him even and will redeem even the sea that was threatening his life. So that's David, that's the original psalmist's prayer. Now let's move to the true psalmist, uh, to Jesus, to God's Son, and see kind of where it takes us, because he too prays this prayer. And as we'll see, um, there are lots of uh, resonances between this psalm and the New Testament. The gospel writers are picking up on it. Jesus is quoting it. Paul and his letters are picking up on it as well. And Jesus, I want to suggest, praise this psalm in the truest way. He's not concerned with a, a narrow nationality, but with all of humanity and our spiritual destiny. And whereas David was concerned with his physical kingdom, Jesus is concerned with the kingdom of God. It's something that's not, def it's not defined by where you live or national boundaries, but it's based on our relationship with God. It's not something that's limited. All are welcome. All have access to this kingdom, to know God the Father.
So like David, Jesus experienced suffering, didn't he? But for Jesus, it was kind of magnified to its greatest extent when he went to the cross, when he suffered in his passion. And it's like on the cross that David's poetry becomes literal. You know, just look at verses 20 and 21. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. It's a sense that the night before he died, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying and he's got his closest friends with him, but they can't even stay awake. <laughs> to pray with him. And as soon as he's betrayed, they immediately, all of his friends and followers desert him, and he's alone. No, none to give sympathy, none to give comfort. And then on the cross, the gospel writers recount to us that actually this being fed gall and vinegar becomes literally true. It actually happens. So um, we see that Jesus is offered this wine mixed with gall or with myrrh. Here we go in Matthew. They offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Now, um, gall is like, or myrrh is this poisonous substance that Roman soldiers would mix into wine. It was like a, um, it's a kind of potion you gave someone to dull their pain as they were dying. It poisoned them, but it kind of helped ease their pain. And Jesus, of course, refuses that. Um, and later, he receives uh, vinegar. So here in John, a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on the stalk of hyssop plant, lifted it to Jesus' lips. He received the drink, said it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So this becomes like literally true. This psalm is happening before people's very eyes. And not only did Jesus suffer, it's kind of his physical suffering, but he also suffered spiritually. Um, you know, we believe that when Jesus hung on the cross, he took the, uh, the burden of the sin of the whole world, my sin and your sin, on himself. Uh, and, you know, Jesus, he applied this psalm to himself, actually, before he died. And John 15, he said this, this is to fulfill what's written in their law. They hated me without reason. That's quoting our psalm tonight, verse 4. And you know, for, for Jesus, this is, he can say this completely genuinely because he had no sin. He lived the perfect life. None of us can. David can say it. We can, David can say it, and perhaps we can as we pray the psalm to an extent, but none of us are without sin. None of us are without that brokenness that causes hurt to others and ourselves, aren't we? Um, but Jesus suffered that spiritually and unjustly for us. So Jesus suffered like David, and he also is representative. He doesn't just represent a, a nation's people. He's not like our prime minister, but he's the one who represents everyone as the true king of the world. And in verse 5, Jesus joins his prayer with David's as you, God, know my folly, my guilt is not hidden from you. We might think that's an odd thing for Jesus to pray. Can he really pray that? Because we've just said he doesn't have any sin. But of course, Jesus here is, as he prays, he's 
we are represented in him and he takes on our sin and our folly, our brokenness, and bears it before God. That's my sin, it's your sin, if we let him, born by Jesus on the cross. And as he does so, it's like we become bound up in Jesus. You know, what happens to him happens to us as well. Uh, But far more than just kind of national welfare, the economy or the culture, here it's a spiritual welfare. It's something that's much deeper, that's within the human heart. Jesus defeats sin. He pays the price for it. And of course, he is raised back to life. And so too can we, those of us who trust Jesus. And Jesus turns to prayer as well. Um, But what's he going to do with with, uh, David's curses? Well, the answer is he does the opposite. Uh, In Luke, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus is the only person in history who had the right to curse his tormentors, right? And yet, he forgives them. That is, it's so countercultural, it's so unexpected, it's so scandalous. Whereas David called down curses, Jesus calls down mercy. You know, uh, when we're in our culture, we, we have a tendency at this cultural moment, don't we, to cancel people. If, some, if something, if they've done something wrong or tweeted something wrong, that's it, they're gone. It's as if, but for Jesus, he redeems. It's, and it goes further than this. It's as if those curses that, are, that, that David speaks fall on Jesus himself. He takes them. You know, however rightly or wrongly they were spoken, Jesus bears the brunt of them himself. And in Jesus, we also see salvation at the end of the Psalms. As Jesus prays this Psalm, he comes to see his victory and redemption is offered to everyone. I wonder, I'm just going to read those last few verses again. And can you hear the voice of Jesus exulting in these? I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. That's talking about this um, sacrificial system that, that the um, ancient Israelites had. Uh, that Jesus offers himself as the true sacrifice. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them, for God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. The people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. We see this, the scope, can you see, has just broadened so much further than when David prays. Jesus is winning for us a, like a spiritual home for us to live in with God, not a geographical one, not one that's dependent on the policies or the shortcomings of its leader, but one that is with God himself. So how about for us then, as today's psalmists, as we read and pray this psalm and the others? 
You know, how do we pray this psalm in the light of the original psalmist and Jesus, the true psalmist? Um, well, I want to just again skate over those four things and just give us a, some, some, something to latch onto, I suppose, for us. First one is, we all suffer in different ways, so let's be real with God. Let's be honest with God what you're going through, uh, what your disappointments are, what those things uh, in your life are that are painful. You know, God can take it. And what's more, he knows what the depth of our suffering is because he suffered on the cross for us and his son. And some of that suffering is going to be because we live in a broken world, you know, sickness and circumstance. But there's also an element that comes for us following Jesus, walking Jesus' way. You know, when we stand up for Jesus, when we stand up for his values, whether that be, you know, on things like marriage or sexuality, identity, the rights of the unborn, uh, you know, what things in the culture we should choose perhaps not to consume. There's a quote from Winston Churchill, very well known, said, if you don't have any enemies in life, it means you never stood up for anything. To have uh, enemies to, to suffer for Jesus' sake uh, is in a sense to, to walk Jesus' way, and we can be real with God. He's there right beside us, ever present with us. Secondly, Jesus represents us. Um, so as we pray this psalm, let's allow Jesus to represent us. Um, you know, let, allow him to represent you on the cross. You know, all, of us have, all of us need that. And sometimes we can slip. I don't know about you, but I can find myself slipping into just trying to, I'll just do it by myself, God. I think I can just handle this myself. Praying this psalm time and time again just gets us into that space that we need Jesus to, rep to represent us on the cross. He's done it for us. He's won it once and for all, but let's let him do it in the details of our life. Then let's turn to prayer. Let's pray for others. In this psalm, Jesus calls us to pray, not to curse, but as Jesus taught us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's a really tough ask for us to do, but that's what Jesus calls us to. And, and in fulfilling this psalm, he's giving us that model for us to do. Um, and that includes praying on behalf of others who are struggling, um, who are suffering. You know, that includes praying for our Christian brothers and sisters in Ukraine, for example, or in Iran, or in whatever circumstance of need. Uh, another quote from Bonhoeffer, even if a verse or a psalm is not one's own prayer, it is nevertheless the prayer of someone else. So let's not discount ourselves from praying in these things and entering, so it's entering into praying into suffering just because it might not affect us in a particular place. Um, and let's remember the importance of prayer. Here at St. Paul's we have a half-termly prayer and praise night where we all get together and we worship God and we pray, we intercede for the things in, in God's world which desperately need intercession. And as we 
enter into this new season of being a mission hub, of uh, yeah, being this kind of source of, of mission and life and light, coming together to pray is so important. And so can I encourage you to come and join us? Uh, we'll be having another one fairly soon. I don't have the date off the top of my head, but come to pray. Uh, Jesus calls us to pray, uh, whether or not we feel like it. So come and join us to pray uh, for our prayer and praise uh, nights coming up. And finally, there's relationship with God, the salvation. We can pray along with Jesus that amazing thanksgiving to the Lord for what he's done for us. It's a sense that perhaps you just need to let God sing this psalm over you. And then will you join in with him in singing it in your life? Just as we come to finish, I'd like to read a poem written on this psalm. That's by a poet, Christian poet, Malcolm Geit, and he's written this amazing book, David's Crown, which is a collection of 150 short poems. Don't worry, the, the poem is short. It's not the same length as Psalm 69. But I think it, he just hits the nail on the head. So he writes this. His day is coming. It will not be long, but first he came to suffer with us here, that sorrow might yet tremble into song. The psalmist here foresees and counts each tear our Savior weeps, sees how he was accused so falsely, sees the spite, the shame, the fear surrounding him, the way he was abused by those he came to save, the way his zeal was mocked and taunted, mercy was refused. And all this was for me, that he might seal me in the book of life, not raise me out. They cried for vengeance, but he came to heal. Christ takes this psalm and turns it inside out. He does not pour out indignation, but instead pours out the lifeblood of his heart. That's the song that God sings over your life. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. And he poured out his own blood. And he scorned the shame. And he was raised victorious. But Jesus did it for you. And he did it for me. I don't know if that just needs to sink in deeper tonight. But even if you were the only person in the world, he would have done it for you. So before we pray, uh, just I wonder whether there might be some of us uh, who actually are experiencing real suffering in our own life. And as we've been talking about suffering, actually that's really, you know, you're really feeling that. Um, or there's a grief or a loss or disappointment. It's an invitation to be real with Jesus, and we'll have a time to pray about that in just a moment. Uh, for others, perhaps that call to pray is something that you need to hear and enter into. Perhaps to particularly pray for someone who's an enemy, someone who, in your heart, you just want to curse them, but, and perhaps rightly so. 
Perhaps you want to respond to Jesus' call for us to pray for our enemies, for our world, for individuals. Perhaps there's a call to join our prayer ministry team. I don't know. Uh, After every service, we have a team who come alongside and pray for people. Maybe there's a call for you to come and join that team. Or for others, I don't know, we're all at a different place. We're all on a journey with Jesus and faith. Um, Perhaps as you're hearing this tonight, if you're exploring faith and you, I don't know, you're just something resonates. We'd love, I'd love to chat with you. We'd love to, well, we'll, we'll pray in just a moment. Um, but there's just a sense, allow Jesus to represent you on the cross as he does in this psalm. So let's have a time to pray now. Would you like to stand uh, with me? And perhaps the band would like to come back um, up to the front. Let's just, just hold a moment of quiet. Uh, to respond in our own way to the Lord. You might find it helpful to put your hands out in front of you, a posture of receiving from God, engaging with Him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that... You pray this psalm truly. In your suffering, in your going to the cross in our place, in your prayer for mercy, and in your victory, uh, that we see you and that your love is more powerful than any darkness, any fear within us. And Lord, those of us who are going through a really tough time, if we're just feeling like, perhaps feel like we're drowning uh, with the psalmist, Lord, pray would you minister to us, help us to know your presence with us, your hand drawing us up. Help us to be real with you, Lord. Help us to speak to you. If there's like a, I don't know, I just I wonder whether perhaps for, for someone here, there's a, just, it just feels like there's a barrier. Can't engage with the Lord, can't speak to him. I just, I want to pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, you to break down any barriers that we've put up or others have put up with us being able to be real with you. Pray too, Lord, for those of us who you're calling to pray. You're calling to stand in the gap, to stand with Jesus and pray for those who are our enemies or others' enemies, those who are suffering, those we know and those we don't. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit, spirit of prayer and intercession. Give us a heart to seek you for your world. And then for, uh, for, I mean, all of us are on journey, Lord, with you. Would you take us, take us on the next step, particularly for any of us here who are exploring or we're not sure or just, yeah, we're not, we're not quite sure where we're at at the moment. Lord, would you come and take us by the hand and let that truth sink deeper that you went to the cross for us, for me, 
and for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.